Hello, Tony. You have to yeah. unmute. Hi there. Hello, Reverend Charles. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Good. So far, just the two of us, huh? Just the two of us, boys. <laughs> we'll just party until they come. Yeah. Are you in a different room than you? No, I'm, in, I'm still in my bedroom. I've just switched the arrangement around a little bit differently. Um, so, um, you know, it's the same room, but you get to see my bed. See how, see how curly cue my bed is? <laughs> see how what your bed is? Curly cue. It's in the back there. Yeah, I see it. That's the bed. Yeah. An Ikea king-size bed. I love it because when I get into bed, I can grab hold of those those things and pull myself up or to the sideways or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Works well for me. So how are things in Squim? 
Uh, things are doing well. Uh, Pat uh, went down uh, to uh, <clears throat> uh, Seattle today for her one-year anniversary on her kneecap uh, replacement. Oh, yeah. And uh, she was told by the doctor that she is the best candidate and patient he has ever had, that she has done better than anybody else. Followed his directions. She's healthy. She's in terrific shape. So great. So he signed her off for another year. Great. So. Okay, well, Deb is not usually late. So let me see if uh, I got an email from her or something. I don't see anything. Hello, yourself there. Hi, Hi folks. How are you doing? Good. We're good. Waiting for Deb. Let's see if I can find a phone number. Actually, Tony, your arrangement's a little bit different too, also. Oh, here's Deb. Uh, you know, actually, I'm trying just a slightly different angle. Let's see if I can get better lighting. Mm -hmm. Hi, Deb. My yeah, lighting's like, good. Oh, she's you're, sideways. You're on, you're, on, you're on your side, dear. How did you do that? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I'm not sideways. All of you are. Uh, <laughs> no. I don't no, think so. Sideways. Yeah, that's there right. you are. But that, but that's weird. I never have my phone that way. Um, let me see if I can prop it up somehow. I always say, oh, you know what, maybe, ah, there you are. There you are. I just had the phone the other way. Let me get it set up. You had your phone <laughs> upside down. Yeah, it was fun when you had it upside down. <laughs> oh, we're all here. Hey, how'd that happen? Miracles. We're committed. Miracles. Okay, so. Or we should be. <laughs> yeah, we're committed. Okay, so let's bring our attention and our awareness within. Okay. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for being together again <clears throat> with this group of uh, wonderful students and seekers and holy children of God, Horace of Miracles students, students of life and spiritual healing. We're open to your voice, Holy Spirit, speaking through these words, but also through the words that everybody says and through all the interaction and all the love that's expressed. So we're grateful. Amen. Amen. What happened to Charles? I don't know. <laughs> um, he dropped off for a minute. Oh, okay. Charles, are you there? We kind of lost you. Seems like he's still on. I'm, I'm here. I'm just switching my table orientation around so it's a better orientation for me. Oh, okay. I'm here. Okay, we hear you. I'll be back in a few seconds. That's okay. I'm trying a different orientation tonight because I think the lighting is a little better this way. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. So what's new with everybody? Hmm, how about you? 
How was your week? Okay, was that good? <laughs> um, well, the good things. Let's talk. Just get some good stuff. Um, we're working on an issue of a new issue of Miracles Monthly. Uh, it, it's a kind of. It's one of the more the difficult issues that we do, which is when you see that like a community voices or at an ordination when a lot of different people speak. So we've got, you know, five different talks to transcribe. And these are probably people that are, you know, they're not experienced speakers. So they're tough to transcribe and then they're tough to edit so that they sound like good English or at least okay English without really changing what they say. And trying to figure, it takes a lot of time, that's all, just, it's a very time-consuming process, but what, the end result is a really wonderful thing of these five different uh, talks uh, that people gave on the evening of their ordination, so um, it's the ordination that happened on April 8th. Um, anyway, so it was a lot of work for Reverend Kelly, it was a lot of work for me, uh, but I, I got it done, and I sent it off to the proofreader, who's Reverend Marilyn, and uh, tomorrow morning she'll give me her little corrections. And, and then Reverend Sophia will come to the office, and with Reverend Kelly, we will do the thing that we do, which is print and staple and fold and label, and, and, and hopefully miracles. the June Miracles Monthly will be in the mail tomorrow. A lot of work. So that's that's good. Uh, we did a a, a web. Uh, it's not an upgrade per se. I mean, it is an upgrade, but it, it the website doesn't look any different. It's just that uh, our website is um, powered by a content management system called Joomla, and uh, every so often you have to upgrade the basically the software that's running your website. And uh, it's a very complicated process. It's not something I can, I did it once like eight or 10 years ago. It was like the most complicated thing I ever did on a, <laughs> on a computer. And I'm pretty quick computer said that, but I said, I, I, I cannot do this. I, this has got to be done by somebody who does this all the time. This is because uh, uh, I can't keep up with that. So we hire, you know, we have a professional company that does it for us, but it still in, entails a certain amount of work for me, support work. And it's a complicated process and even the little bit that I have to do with it. But that, that got done. So our, our website has now been upgraded, which means it won't get hacked. I mean, basically, you do it so that it doesn't get hacked and so that it doesn't get infected with malware so that people who come to it don't get, you know, viruses and malware and ads they don't want or it isn't used as a platform to spam people. And the way Google and other companies work is they're constantly monitoring your websites for these types of things. And if they think your website is at risk, they issue warnings. And so you got to, it's just, it's the whole IT thing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that got done. Our website got upgraded. <coughs> we have the latest version of Joomla. We have to do this about four times. You know, this year we did it four times. Wow. It's a lot so every of work. three months, about every three months, we have to have our web uh, engine upgraded. And this takes coordination between the developers and our web host company. 
boring stuff, but you know, this is, this is the nature of the business in this day and age. Now that our website is upgraded, I can also uh, add some new articles to it. Now, I, while it was being upgraded, which was about a two-week process, then I could, we couldn't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. But now that it's been upgraded, uh, now I can add some new content. So that's good. We had a nice Sunday service, Sunday gathering last week. Reverend Kelly spoke. We had a couple of new people. That was exciting. And we're planning a fellowship event in, a, in a two weeks, is it? Where we're going to do this thing here in San Francisco with the San Francisco Opera, where there's a simul, that there's an opera going on at the Opera House, and it's simulcast on big video screens in the ballpark. So at AT&T Park, which is our big baseball stadium, modern stadium, huge screen, simulcast, uh, Don Giovanni. So a, a 14 of us, I think, or maybe it's 15 now. I don't know. I don't know. It might be 16. We might, we might have some more people coming. I have to ask D. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> it looks like we got six, you know, 14 to 16 people are going to gather and go to the, the ballpark, AT&T Park, which is a beautiful ballpark, relatively modern, and, you know, sit in the bleachers and... Uh, popcorn and hot dogs. Eat hot dogs and garlic fries and yeah, uh, beer. <laughs> now, so it's a very strange combinations of uh, venues, you know. It's a ballpark and it's opera. Opera. Can we get to eat hot, uh, hot dogs and popcorn and... Peanuts. Whatever. Yeah, the guy walks around selling peanuts in the middle of the opera. And we'll be listening to Mozart. Sounds wonderful. Yeah, like something I've always wanted to do. They they've done it now for like eight or you know, six eight years, and I've never. I've, I've been to it before. Yeah, it's, I, I never was able to. The, the schedule never coordinated, but now we've got it. And so do they do they pack the park? Not really. Not really. It's pretty, uh, maybe half full. That's pretty That's good cool. though. Yeah. No, you have a good amount of people, but it's not like. You know, like when you go to a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. How many do you think the, the ball stadium this holds? How many does the ballpark hold? I have no idea. You'd have to Google that. Yeah, I mean, it's many thousands. It's a big ballpark. Yeah. It's not filled, I can tell you. It wasn't filled the last time I went. So it sounds like you've had a busy week. It's, it's always a busy week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Busy week. How about for you? How was uh, how's mom? Oh yeah, she was gonna come and say hello, but we forgot. <laughs> <laughs> we oh. we went with friends. Okay, so we're out here in uh, rural Michigan, uh, northern Michigan, which is uh, filled with lakes, you know, and vacation areas. But in our little area, the closest town is um, fifteen miles away. Mm-hmm. So. The closest uh, substitute is the bar that's two miles down the road. And so we went with our lake neighbors to taco night tonight. And that was really a lot of fun. You know, a whole bunch of us at taco night at the bar. And, uh, and that's fun. The other, my other interesting adventure is, um, you know, my cottage. So I bought it last August and I've been renovating it. And this spring, I paid the contractors to put in a dock. 
because I'm on an I'm on a a bay. I'm sort of like on a bay of the lake, and I wanted a dock that would go out to the lake part where the bottom is sandier, so I wouldn't have to get in a boat, you know, and row out to the lake part. So, um, so they built this very interestingly. They said the best time to build it was when the ice was just getting ready to leave the lake. So they they lay out the they put the top of the dock right on, they build it right on top of the ice. And then they cut holes in the ice and sink the four by fours, the posts, the support posts. And it was great and it worked great and the ice went away and there was the dock, you know, stretched out across the water. They still had to add about another, you know, 20, 30 feet to get it to where I wanted it, but it was great. It was up there. And then, then the water level went up because <laughs> the Great Lakes have been, the water level's been going up. And now my dock is underwater. <laughs> That's a comedy. Yeah, I know. It's kind of embarrassing. I mean, who builds a new dock underwater? I can see if you had an old dock and the water came up, but I have a new dock and it's underwater. So wait, and that's not the worst part. The worst part is that the water came up and, and it turned out that they hadn't taken the time or had the screws or something to screw the last two sections of decking to the dock. So all the dock boards floated away across the lake. So, <laughs> so, you know, hey, you should be on television with that one with a comedy routine. I'm telling you what, it's uh We'll see. We'll see what happens. Deb, do you have a, a window on your, I guess it would be your right side, because that, that side is, is brighter than the other side. Do you have a window? Well, let me see. No, I, the light. It's probably just a light. It's right there. The light's oh, right up. Oh, okay. Okay. I have a window out to the lake on the other side. Okay. But the light's right there. So okay. that's probably why. You're a little bright. Yeah. A little washed out, but right. <laughs> I could try to move away from it. No, no, no. That's fine. Ah, you're good. At least we can see you. Oh, that's a little better, actually. Better? Yeah. There. I'll turn on my... Yeah. Okay. Do Althea, how about you? You haven't shared anything. Oh, well, today, uh, my group met, my melty hands. I'm, I'm a massage therapist, mm -hmm. and um, so the three of us met today, and then when one person is on the table, the two of us will treat the other person, so we all get a turn to be on the table. And then after that, we went to Love Joy, Joys, which is a place where you have these tea sandwiches, and you, it's a tea, uh, you know, you order... I ordered a, a tea that had a little bit of chocolate in it, and my other friend, she ordered uh, a vanilla tea. And then we have all these tea sandwiches, <laughs> um, you know, with ham or salmon, salmon and cream cheese, and all these little tea sandwiches. And then they give you, um, what do you call it? Uh, a, not a biscuit. Well, some biscuits and a, a crumpet with um, Barbershire cream and jam. <laughs> so, it's an English, an English tea house. Yeah, yeah. They have, cucumber, they have cucumber sandwiches? They, they probably do. I didn't notice that because we never order that. <laughs> we all order either salmon or chicken or something like that. 
-hmm. And um, we were celebrating Rose's birthday, which was back in January, but this is the time we could meet. So we celebrated somebody's birthday who was in January. Yeah. Rose's birthday. Well, we couldn't do it before. We're doing it now. It doesn't matter. Just celebrate. Great. Somebody's somebody's keeping track of that. We do. Okay, let's see if Charles is. I oh, there you're back. Uh, okay. <laughs> I had to unmute. Or I had to mute you there, Charles, but I've unmuted you and. Well, I was rearranging the furniture again. This is a new location for me, so I'm trying to figure out the the best way to make it work for me. And I'm on a, a table that has roller wheels on it, and <laughs> I keep getting my power cable for my computer wrapped around the rollers. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Trying to straighten it out. Which see okay. behind me is my my bed. I think we're on page one hundred and nine. Okay. Uh, chapter three, section two. Yep. So I'll start. We'll just kind of keep with the. Wait a minute, page one hundred and nine. Yeah. Yes. Special principles for miracle workers. Yeah. Oh, let me get a little marker. Okay. Okay. Did you find it, Dusselthia? Yes, I did. Okay. Special principles for miracle workers. The miracle abolishes the need for lower order concerns since it is an illogical or out of pattern time interval by definition, the ordinary considerations of time and space do not apply. Uh, 14, that the miracle is illogical means that it doesn't logically follow from what went before. It is out of pattern. The occurrence of a new pattern rather than a continuation of past patterns. These past patterns include the laws of time and space. I do not regard time as you do. And your space problems are not mine. Okay, footnote 15. Space problems almost certainly refers to the common meaning of not having enough space. The original phrase was, and Kalb's space problem is not mine. Lawrence C. Kalb, who was chairman, (laughs) how does he know these things? Of the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center where Helen and Bill work. His space problem is mentioned, see Cameo 14, alongside a storage problem and referred to as a space problem, and referred to as a space problem. A storage problem is hardly more difficult for me to solve than a space problem. See comments under special principles of miracle workers. So, I don't know how to pronounce the name, Kolb? Kolb, Kolb's space problem was simply someone having a space problem, i.e. not having enough space. The overall idea here, as we see in the next sentence, 
is that when you perform a miracle, this allows Jesus to rearrange time and space in order to take care of your lower order concerns, bringing them into line with the healing that just took place. He may, for example, solve a space problem you have been struggling with. Okay, uh, back to the reading. When you perform a miracle, I will arrange both time and space to adjust it. A clear distinction between what was created and what is made is essential. All forms of correction or healing rest on this fundamental correction and level perception. Another way of stating the second principle is this, never confuse right-mindedness with wrong-mindedness. Responding to any form of miscreation with anything except a desire to heal or a miracle is an expression of this confusion. Okay, that seems like a good match. Charles, why don't you, uh, you can finish it up. <clears throat> the miracle is always a denial of this error and an affirmation of the truth. Only right-mindedness can correct in any way that has any real effect. Pragmatically, what has no real effect has no real existence. Its real effect, then, is emptiness, being without substantial content, it lends itself to projection. Number 16, this seems to mean that what is made, being empty form without any real content of its own, lends itself to having false content or meaning projected into it. The level adjustment power of the miracle induces the right perception for healing. Number 17, the level adjustment power of the miracle refers to the miracle inducing us to realize that the level of eternal spirit is what is real, and that the level of physical events is illusionary. The same distinction that we see in Special Principle 2, a clear distinction between what was created and what is made is essential. See Miracle Principle 21 and 26 for the miracle as the correction for level confusion. Okay. Until this has occurred, healing cannot be understood. Forgiveness is an empty gesture unless it entails correction. That's number 18. Correction here refers to the correction of perception in the other person. The point seems to be that conventional forgiveness, in which we affirm that we have only sinned, but we forgive him anyway, is essentially judgmental rather than truly healing since it confirms rather than, corrects, and that rather than corrects the other person's judgmental perception of himself. Let's see, that was number 18. Where am I? I've just lost my place. Right at the top of the page. Without this, it is essentially judgmental rather than healing. Miraculous forgiveness involves only correction. It has no element of judgment at all. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In no way evaluates what they do. Number 19. <clears throat> These, of course, are the words Jesus reportedly spoke from the cross. The Course sees this statement as an appeal to God to heal the conscious of wrongdoing, since they don't understand what they are doing. It is strictly limited to an appeal to God. <coughs> Excuse me, I have this cough. It is strictly limited to an appeal to God to heal their minds. 
There is no reference to the outcome of their misthought. This does not matter. Number seven. The biblical injunction, be of one mind, is the statement for revelation readiness. Number 20. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13.11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of, of good comfort. Be of one mind, live in peace, and in God of love and peace shall be with you. Jesus is apparently reinterpreting be of one mind to be rise above the divided mind into a single-mindedness that is ready for the one-mindedness concept. My own injunction, do this in remembrance of me, is the request for cooperation in miracle-making. Number 21. Luke twenty two nineteen, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In its present context, this means not celebrate the Eucharist in remembrance of me, but do miracles in remembrance of me and in cooperation with me. It should be noted that the two statements are not in the same order of reality, because the latter involves a time awareness, since memory implies recalling the past in the present. Time is under my direction, but timelessness belongs to God alone. In time, we exist for and with each other. In timelessness, we coexist with God. Okay. Let's talk about uh, this section a little bit. Well, this uh, this last uh, few sentences where it talks about time uh, is interesting because at the last uh, <laughs> Yeshua meeting, we talked about time and timelessness, and we are in a period. Of, of time, and it is possible for us, and I think for Jesus too, to move backwards and forwards in time, but you still have time, whereas you can be in another realm that does not have time, it could have just distance, and so in that particular case, you could think of something, and then you would be there, because there is no time taken to move from one place to another. And I, I think that God and Jesus are, are capable of doing both. So, anyway, just that, that sort of reminded me of that discussion. Okay, good. In the urtext, timelessness is capitalized. I don't know if that means anything, but it's interesting. Uh, what does it say in the urtext of that? That stuff about space problems, about Kolb's space problems. How is that in the urtext, do you know? Uh, yeah, let me see here. He says, for example, I do not regard time as you and Bill do, and Kolb's space problem is not mine. 
Oh, it does say cold. Okay. It says the same thing. Okay, so. Yeah. I had never thought of that about in terms of it with the um, connotation of not having enough space. I had always thought of it in terms like distance, you know, like I, I was, uh, I, there seems to be space, a distance between myself and my sister, let's say, who lives on the East Coast and mm -hmm. things of that nature. I just had always thought about it in terms of distance. So I have way more problems with the other kind of space than I do with distance. So uh, uh, that, was, that was just interesting to read that. Could actually mean a storage problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Storage problem. I think that goes back to, again, to uh, when he was talking to Helen about the higher shopping service, and he said, leave everything that does not matter to me, which of course a storage problem doesn't matter and all the all the little nitty gritty details of life don't really matter that we are absorbed with. Right. Well, I've been trying to leave my time problems to him for a long time. <laughs> and he needs to get busy <laughs> and solve my time problems. <laughs> I'm not feeling in the solution. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Anybody else here? Anything? You know, when um, I'm not sure if I if I'm remembering this right, Robert's explanation of of uh, when you perform a miracle, I will arrange both time and space to adjust to it. Mm -hmm. um, he says, when you perform a miracle, this allows Jesus to rearrange time and space in order to take care of your lower order concerns. You know, I've always, a miracle in, to my way of thinking is when you are able to see another as unified with yourself. So the, the miracle isn't necessarily that you get your lower, or, lower order concerns taken care of. The miracle is when you suspend your specialness identity and you're able to connect in, in a unified manner you suspend all of the, what we would call the, the earthly preconceptions and you, and your mind, you allow your mind to ascend to that other realm. And then he takes that, um, the time and space, what it, it collapses time and space by moving us forward in our progression, by taking us from the miracle collapses time, because when we see ourselves as unified, 
we have collapsed the time that it might otherwise have taken us to get there by thousands of years. Right. So, if we're, so that's the collapse of time, but it doesn't necessarily take care of maybe our lower order needs like, uh, you know, you I need a coat, whatever it happens. It's not necessarily about that. He then takes that collapse or that miracle that has healed a portion of the unified mind and uses it to heal part of the mind that needs it. Might not be us. Well, who we think of as us. It could be another part. So I'm not sure that I really agree with his his uh, description here of what that means. Mm. I think for me, the, uh, a miracle is whenever I'm in my ego mind and I'm worried or angry or feeling lack or just whatever, I've got some sort of ego illusion and I can offer it up to the Holy Spirit or to Jesus and um, and then I can get a new way of thinking about it that is more a reflection of the truth. And um, that probably is a collapse of time um, because I, I probably, you know, we all will eventually be able to have that new way of perceiving. It'll just be natural. And so a miracle collapses time and, and suddenly I am propelled forward to a time when I, I no longer am, caught up in the fear and the lack or the anger. And since our minds are the manifesting force, that can produce a shift, I think, in, um, in the physical world that we see. But, you know, maybe there are other factors that prevent that shift from happening at that time. But I think they, they frequently do produce a shift in, in physical things. But that's really just a, a result of whatever the Holy Spirit has helped me. You know, whatever class of time the Holy Spirit has uh, given to me, but I think they can then therefore affect lower order concerns. I guess sort of like a combination of looking at it. I, I, I agree with you. I think that they do. I think that once you change your mind, you know, Wayne Dyer said, change your mind, things about you change or whatever, however he said it. But I think that's true. But I think what Robert here was saying is that Jesus will then, you know, take care of your lower order concerns. And, and I'm not sure that, I think that when we change our mind, then the things about us change. Um, but I don't necessarily see that as being exactly the same thing as um, what I think of as a miracle, which is when you're able to see others. If you're able to see others without the ego, it means you've been able to give up part of your own ego, be part of your own self-specialness, because then you're able to see others in the same way. You can't give what you don't have. So you have to have that sense of, self without the ego in order to see it in others. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know. What I, what I don't know is does uh, a miracle necessarily have to involve the appearance or the thought of others? Because I think you can have a miracle just with your own perception of yourself. And I think that's true, but, you know, is it – here's a question, and I don't know the answer to it because I haven't figured – you know, I haven't really thought about it a lot. But every time we feel um, – the twinge that he talks about of fear or disillusionment or depression or whatever it happens to be any of any of those types of things that we would say we would like to escape from. Does it always involve someone else, how we think someone else is thinking about us, how we think someone else has reacted to us, how we think we've reacted to someone else and what, what that means, how they've reacted to us. I mean, I think somewhere in the book, if I'm recalling correctly, he says it always has its genesis in our, in how we perceive our relationship to others. In other words, if we, if we saw everyone, if we saw ourselves united with everyone and we, and we were able to see our brother as the child of God that we are supposed to see ourselves as, that we would be in peace. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I think they're both true. I mean, that inevitably, how we see others is how we see ourselves. So any shift in perception of ourselves is going to is going to uh, also be a shift in perception of how we see others, because that's who the others are. They're us. They're reflections of us. I just know practically, in terms of my own process, sometimes I'm not that aware of how it reflects in others it's it's an inter it feels internal mm-hmm. you know that just feels internal and that's what i'm thinking about mm-hmm. um but i'm sure that of course it, it it's reflected in how i'm seeing others just not my awareness at that moment or is it about how you think others are seeing you i have to think about that mm. Anybody else do Sophia Charles anything here in this section? Anything that jumped out of you or caught your attention? In number five, Mm -hmm. the level adjustment power of miracles induces the right perception for healing. Until this has occurred, healing cannot be understood. Uh, forgiveness is an empty gesture unless it entails correction. Without this, it, it is essentially a judgmental rather than healing. So, um, and do the, this right perception, unless it has this right perception that uh, for healing, the healing cannot be understood. I guess that's what I'm thinking it means. I think it goes back up. If you look at paragraph three, Mm -hmm. where he says, responding to any form of miscreation with anything except a desire to heal or a miracle is an expression of this confusion, the level confusion. So any response to anyone with anything other than love and a desire to heal yeah and i think that's the that's what he's saying it it, 
the level adjustment power of the miracle induces the right perception for healing. I'd like to go back to uh, number five again, because um, I've noticed over the three years that I've lived here in Squim, I've had a, a number of um, ailments that have been decreasing over time, but I still have um, a few that I didn't have when I was back in uh, Texas. And so there, there's a, and I've been in other places, I've been also studying what is it about the body cells that they're not healed, which is their natural state. And so this, this issue of um, not forgiving myself or not forgiving my body um, perfectly for what it is keeps cropping up as maybe why I, why I have these um, few remaining, and thank God, minor ailments. Like I have this little cough continually, it seems like, <clears throat> for no reason at all. I'm continually sucking on Ricola things. I still have a continual <clears throat> but decreasing rash on my uh, backside, um, probably because I sit too much and don't walk enough. And, um, but again, I didn't have those things in, in Texas at all. Mm -hmm. so I keep wondering what it, what is really going on here? Well, what is okay. the lack of forgiveness of, of Charles towards Charles or Charles is <laughs> really affecting my, my overall health. Are, can I just, are you on high blood pressure medication? No. Okay. My blood pressure is fine. Um, doctors are very frustrated with me because they, every doctor I've ever seen runs all kinds of tests because, you know, I'm fat. And they, and they come back and say, you're the healthiest fat person I've ever met. <laughs> That's so, so. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I asked because, because a persistent cough is a side effect of one of, of a couple of the um, blood pressure meds. Oh, Oh. No. Okay. I, I do take an, an Indian herb called uh, Muktavadi uh, for blood pressure, and that seems to be sufficient. Uh, the regular blood pressure uh, medications that I tried for a while years ago just had a very bad effect on my body. Mm. Okay, we could read it. The next section is actually kind of long which I'm, I don't think we'll, well, we'll just start reading it. Uh, let's see. So I read and Charles read. How about a do something you want to start? Um, you can read, uh, you know, start it here and read up to the, and complete the next page. Remember to catch the, uh, the footnotes if you can. Okay. Three, atonement without sacrifice. Right. There is one more point which must be perfectly clear before any residual fear which you may still associate with miracles become entirely groundless. The crucifixion did not establish the atonement. The resurrection did. This is a point which many very sincere Christians have misunderstood. Nobody who was free of scarcity Fallacy could possibly make made this mistake. Twenty-two, the scarcity fallacy. 
is the belief in an inner lack and sparks driven behavior in order to fill the emptiness. In this case, as Jesus clarifies later in regard to Edgar Casey's cameo 15, the belief in a lack of worth leads one to believe in a need to sacrifice as a way to fill that lack. Did we read the cameo? Oh, we just go on. Yes, yeah, just, just go ahead and finish the page up. If the crucifixion is seen from an upside down point of view, it certainly does appear as if God permitted and even encouraged one of his sons to suffer because he was good. Many very devoted ministers preach this every day. This particular unfortunate interpretation, which actually arose out of the combined projection of a large number of my own would-be followers, has led many people to bitterly afraid to be bitterly afraid of God. This particular anti-religious concept happens to enter into many religions, and this is neither by chance nor coincidence. Coincidence. 23. This anti-religious concept seems to be that God sees the suffering of certain people, particularly good people, as having saving value for the whole. A real Christian would have to pause and ask, how could this be? Is it likely that God himself would be capable of the kind of thinking which his own words have clearly stated is unworthy of his children? 24. His own words seems to refer to the Bible, particularly the gospel, with their emphasis on loving even one's en enemy. Um, Matthew and Luke. Loving the enemy is clearly incompatible with punishing the good. The best defense, as always, is not to attack another's position, but rather to protect the truth. It is not necessary to consider anything acceptable if you have to turn a whole frame of reference around in order to justify it. This procedure is painful in its minor applications and genuinely tragic on a mass basis. Persecution is frequent, frequent result, justified by the terrible misinterpretation that God himself persecuted his own son on behalf of salvation. 25. This difficult sentence is context, in context means that when people turns around its whole frame of reference to accommodate the concept that punishment can be re redemptive, then persecution on a mass basis will often result. This mass persecution is justified by the idea that this is how God works and seen, and seen by what he did to Jesus. Jesus probably has the Holocaust, the Holocaust in mind as an example here. He refers to the Holocaust in chapters where he calls it inverted or upside down thinking and likens it to his own crucifixion. Just as above, he refers to turning a whole frame of reference around to justify a mass persecution that he also likens to his crucifixion. The very words are meaningless. Okay, great. Thank you.
Deb, how about you read a four through a seven? Okay. It has always been particularly difficult to overcome this because although the error itself is no harder to overcome than any other error, people are unwilling to give it up because of its prominent escape value. In milder forms, a parent says, this hurts me more than it hurts you and feels exonerated in beating a child. Can you believe that the father really thinks this way? It is so essential that all such thinking be dispelled that we must be very sure that nothing of this kind remains in your mind. I was not punished because you were bad. The whole benign lesson which the atonement teaches is wholly lost if it is tainted with this kind of distortion in any form. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, is strictly a karmic viewpoint. 26. Romans 12.19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. It is a real misperception of truth by which you assign your own evil past to God. The evil conscience from the past has nothing to do with God. 27, Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The evil conscience here is a conscience plagued by one's past sins. So the evil conscience from the past has nothing to do with God. He did not create it and he does not maintain it. God does not believe in karmic retribution at all. His divine mind does not create that way. He does not hold the evil deeds of a person even against himself. Is it likely that he would hold them against me? Be very sure that you recognize how impossible this assumption really is and how entirely it arises from projection. This kind of error is responsible for a host of related fallacies, including the mistaken belief that God rejected man and forced him out of the Garden of Eden. 28. Genesis. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life or that I am misdirecting you. I have made every effort to use words which are almost impossible to distort, but human beings are very inventive when it comes to twisting symbols around. God himself is not symbolic. He is fact. The atonement too is totally without symbolism. It is perfectly clear because it exists in light. Only the world's attempts to shroud it in darkness have made it inaccessible to the unwilling and ambiguous to the partly willing. The atonement itself radiates nothing but truth. It therefore epitomizes harmlessness and sheds only blessing. It could not do this if it arose from anything other than perfect innocence. Innocence is wisdom because it is unaware of evil, which does not exist. It is, however, perfectly aware of everything that is true. Okay, thank you. The resurrection demonstrated that nothing can destroy truth. Good can withstand any form of evil because light abolishes all forms of darkness. The atonement is thus the perfect lesson. Number 29. Atonement here 
refers to the resurrection as it probably also does in 4.6 above, the holy benign lesson which the atonement teachers, teaches. Okay. It is the final demonstration that all the other lessons which I taught are true. You are released from all errors if you believe in this. The deductive approach to teaching accepts the generalization which is applicable to all single instances rather than building up the generalization after analyzing numerous single instances separately. 30. Deductive reasoning starts with general truths and then applies them to specific instances. An example is the famous syllogism. All men are mortal, general truth. Socrates is a man, a specific instance to which the general truth can be applied. Therefore, Socrates is mortal. Application of the general truth to the specific instance. Inductive reasoning, in contrast, involves the reverse, building up the generalization by analyzing numerous single instances separately. If you can accept one generalization now, there will be no need to learn from many smaller lessons. 31. The one generalization is the message of the resurrection. Nothing can destroy truth. Nothing can prevail against the Son of God who commends his spirit into the hands of his Father. 32. Matthew. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Luke. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. By alluding to his purported last words on the cross, Jesus is implying that the next sentence is what happened to him at this point. His mind awakened from its sleep and remembered its creator. However, in more general language, a son of God who commends his spirit. He is implying that commending our spirit into the hands of God is something all of us, not just Jesus, can do now, rather than waiting to do it at the moment of death. Okay. By doing this, the mind awakens from its sleep and remembers its creator. All sense of separation disappears, and the level of confusion vanishes. The Son of God is part of the Holy Trinity, but the Trinity itself is one. There is no confusion within its levels because they are of one mind and one will. This single purpose creates perfect integration and establishes the reign of the peace of God. Okay. Okay, why don't we pause here and... uh, chat a little bit about what we've read so far. Anybody? 
Well, I really like uh, paragraph 9, that first sentence. Nothing can prevail against the Son of God who commends his spirit into the hands of his Father. I really, really, really like that uh, that sentence because that, that to me is the final relinquishment of any control I have over my existence and all my control has gotten me into trouble <laughs> in one way or another. <laughs> and so I, I, I like what it says there. Yeah, I had a question about that footnote. It's like, so I understood the second, you know, the second part, the one about Luke, but why is he, why is he including this reference to Matthew just because of the word prevail? So it starts out with a short, uh, the footnote 32, it starts out with a short passage from Ma Matthew. And then at the end of that passage, it says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, I think he's saying because he says that each one of us is his church, each one of us is the altar. Mm -hmm. So nothing can prevail against a son of God. So nothing can prevail against a church. And then he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So maybe that's the, you know, the, the connection he's trying to draw. Okay, but there's nothing in nine that talks about building a church. It's just the word prevail is the only thing that. Well, no, but there's son of God. So a son of God is the church. <clears throat> Each son of God is a church, is an altar. Mm. The people are the church. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> We are the church. We are the church. I mean, I understand, you know, the, the second part, because he says, you know, commends the spirit into the hands of the father. And so there would be, or, or yeah, I just don't quite, I don't quite get the footnote, but okay. Or maybe there should have been two footnotes there in that sentence instead of combining them into one that's kind of confusing. <clears throat> well, I think sometimes, for example, in reading this passage, the flow of it really gets interrupted by the footnotes. And I think maybe we miss something in the way it goes together. Mm. This is uh, the section in paragraph two where Jesus refers to the real Christian. Now, that, that um, always uh, just sort of amuses me, I guess. That there, there's, you know, he never says the unreal Christian or the fake Christian, but I mean, the real Christian sort of implies a false Christian anyway. Um, Anyway, and he's just talked about these anti-religious concepts that enter into many religions. He's in, he's in some way <clears throat> identifying Christian with all religions, which is <clears throat> a little challenging. But um, 
anyway, um, I think by implying that a real Christian wouldn't have these strange anti-religious concepts that God punished his son because he was good, um, that a real Christian would know that, you know, God can't possibly think that way. That can't possibly be. So I do think that Jesus is in some way inferring that we should be real Christians. And I think that's a little challenging for some people. And a lot of people have difficulty uh, defining themselves as Christians. Christians. I mean, a lot of Course in Miracles people have difficulty with defining him. him defining well, I think he, I think that's. I think that might be if you choose to think of the word Christian in terms of uh, religion, Christian religion. But isn't a Christian? Isn't that also a generic term for Christ, the sonship, and for a belief in in uh, for basically following the tenets of the sonship, the unified Christ. Well, Christian is a, you know has, has come to be a broad term. We don't really know how Jesus is using it here because he doesn't use it very often. In fact, I don't know if he ever uses it. Well, he uses it up. Well, it's it's a couple par in paragraph two at the top of the page. This is a point which many very sincere Christians have misunderstood. So. I mean, Christian could very well have been, at the time that, that he established, at the time that people were following him, they called themselves Christians, which simply meant following the te his teachings. Right. And so I think it has, a, it has that meaning rather than whatever it's come to mean today in terms of what religions it represents. I think it's simply following the teachings. And so... He said, this is the point which many very sincere Christians have misunderstood. Those who seek to follow his teachings, but they've misunderstood the whole point of what he was trying to teach. I don't think he means it in terms of, I think he means it in terms of those who seek to follow his teachings, but not in terms of any sort of particular organized religion. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I was just pointing out how, because I see it in, in Course of Miracles students that um, calling yourself a Christian is usually pretty, they don't like it. Well, you know, maybe that goes back to the same, to that discussion he had with Helen about her being embarrassed by him. By, oh, yeah, there you go. So maybe that's all part of it, you know, and that's a hurdle that needs to be addressed. I mean, uh, um, there's a secular, you know, really a non-religious definition of Christian, too. I mean, a Christian is somebody who, like you said, just follows the basic tenets, which a lot of times mean, you know, helping those mm -hmm. less, uh, with less advantages. You know, a person who helps the poor or the, 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 the disadvantaged is considered to have Christian values and, and therefore to be a Christian. It doesn't necessarily have to have anything to do with being religious at all. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I just, I just noticed in the broader, larger Course of Miracles community that if you, people who, you know, they, they're, there's a aversion to the word Christian. 
even though it's, it's, it's used here in a way that might imply that we don't have to at least be averse to the word. Whether or not you, know, whether or not you want to call yourself one is, is an, I think, a separate issue, but um, Jesus is referring to them and not in a bad way. It, 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 is it possible that, that being hung up on the words simply allows people to not get to the point? Yeah, <laughs> I think, I think it, it does. People, and we're studying a discipline that wants us to identify not necessarily with Jesus, but with the Christ, our Christed nature, the Christ within. Mm-hmm. And um, to be too hung up on the word, to me, is, is a little bit of a defense of being uh, uh, really accepting that we're the Christ. Yeah, and it also goes back to that hasn't he made a distinction at some point about uh, you can study something and never apply it? Yeah. <laughs> so you can study all the nuances you want about what means what and <laughs> you don't apply it. <laughs> you don't apply it. So Okay, we should take a break. We'll okay. come back and we'll finish this section and then we'll see how much time we got, whether we want to read another section. The next section is sort is short. Or if we want to do a uh, cameo. Uh, okay, so it's a 36 after the hour, so uh, 48 after. 48 after? Okay. After. Our time would be 7.48. That's right. what I thought. That's 48 minutes after the hour. But people, other people are in different time zones, so I say it in a way that makes it applicable to the other time zones. Fine, thank you. Okay.
<laughs> what do you mean are you using Comedia? Can you hear me? Yeah, what? Oh, good. I, I was saying, no, somebody said, are you using the audio? So I didn't know what it meant. Oh. But that's okay. I'm using the audio. Yeah, we can hear you really well. Oh, good. It's just you and I, right? Yeah, I think the others are on, but they're not there. Oh. No, they muted themselves. Hold on. Hey, Shirley, I have to call you back. I'm, okay. I'm in class now. I'll call you after class. Okay, bye-bye. So, I'm here. We can't hear you, Tony. You're muted. I'm back. Oh, there you are. Okay. Yeah, and today when I logged on, I had the administrative function. So, whatever was going on there, either Reverend Kelly healed it or... She healed it. She knew you were having to. <laughs> she healed it. She healed it. I do always feel good when an issue of Miracles Monthly is ready to come out. Yeah, that's always a good issue where you've got the different uh, the talks from the different people from their ceremony. That's always interesting. Yeah. This one has a, you know, really, well, they're always good. This, this, these are five. So, uh, uh, and they all had very different things to say, including our new transgendered minister, oh, Reverend, good. Reverend Lucas. Oh, good. We're learning all about politically correct way to I think they're still confused though and how to describe them how to describe themselves no but whether you're going to say her or she or they you have to call them they it's only one person that's kind of a, a I thought you call wait a minute I thought you you call whatever it is they choose to identify with Okay, but a real, uh, this, this is a, a gender-neutral person, and, oh. the, and the gender-neutral person does not want to be called he or she. So okay. what somebody does not want to be gender-identified, yeah. then we are told by this gender-neutral person that the way to refer to them is they. So you refer to them as plural, even though it's a it's a single person. But th this is you know this is a pretty big. You got to remember this every time. It's a little confusing. So we need to refer to Reverend Lucas as they. But then, if there were more than one of them, how are you going to know that? Lucai, isn't that the plural of? <laughs> no, <laughs> she will only be. <laughs> They will only be Lucas. The other one could have another name. <laughs> yeah. The likelihood of getting two Lucases uh, is probably rare, but not that likely. It could be loca. Well, I thought there was. I thought there was another term for the millennials. Have this is not a millennial, right? Lucas is forty years old, so yeah, I don't. I think, 
I think that would that would make Lucas a little older than a millennial, I believe. So, so the millennials, as as I recall, um, have a term for themselves, gender gender neutral when they're gender neutral, and I don't think it's they. Uh, I can't remember it though. I don't know. Well, we'll learn. We'll learn. Lucas, Lucas, hope, is, Lucas yeah. is investigating this, and Lucas is is catching us up to speed here. On you know, okay, this probably wouldn't be appreciated, but you know, Luci or Lucy would be plural. You need a plural of Lucas. Why do we need a plural of Lucas? Because they is a plural. So, so in order to, in order to um, include both the male and the female, which would suggest a they, meaning more than one, which is what is presumably being put forth. I, I don't but, think that's no. the, that's not the thought system. The thought so system. It's just. The, the transgender or the gender neutral community. Oh, look who's here! Where's Pat? It's Reverend Pat. Hi, Hi, Pat. How are you? Hi there. Come over to the other side so we can see you more in the A little water. brighter over here. The other side? Okay. Hello. She walked out of the room altogether. Now she's back. Here you are. Oh, there you are. Yeah. Hi. That, that's the you? lovely Reverend Pat. Yeah. Oh, and there's a cat in back of Pat. Oh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. precious. That's the cat. <laughs> that's the cat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She loves to get up on the bookcases. Yeah. I don't blame her. It's high. Hi, we, we, we heard that your, uh, your knee and you got a very good report. Yes. The surgeon said this was a very unusual kind of surgery. And of all the people that he's done it on, I'm mm. the best success so far. You know, oh great! Aren't you lucky? This kind of success before. Yeah, there she is walking along. Look at that! That's a great little picture. <laughs> Family photo. <laughs> yeah. Isn't this a great format? It yeah. is. It's wonderful it is. to be it's able like to see it. It's just amazing. Yes, it's fun. It's fun. Well, I just want to pop it and say hello. Hi. Okay. okay. Love you all. Love, love you. you. All. Love you too, Pat. Thanks nice for to see you. In. You got the good report. Yeah. Anyway, get back to this. Uh, Pat, can you bring me the, the So what is it? Not plural. So it's not plural. So what is it's it? It's not plural. It's just um, they want to evolve the language, really, just to, it's, it's not so that you think of them as plural. It's just. Um, it's, well, I don't think they would You're not the saying right. he or she, that's They're all. not saying he or she, that's all. So it's they, until they come up with whatever they until yeah. we come up with a, another personal pronoun yeah that is gender neutral okay. they and we're getting we're getting a little more used to it i mean i find i remember sometimes <laughs> no i'm laughing because peter peter last night was saying she and it's oh no no i mean they <laughs> But we're right, we're right there with it because we're San Francisco and, you know, these alternative lifestyle things come up for us all the time. So we have a minister and she's very, help, I said it, and they are very active with the Sunday gathering. 
there every Sunday helping to put the gathering on. And they are thinking about uh, giving uh, talks at the gathering, so. Good. And you will read when you get your, because we have renewed your subscription now, so when you get your issue of Miracles Monthly, Reverend Lucas, uh, you'll, you'll see Reverend Lucas's picture on the front, and Reverend Lucas uh, was the last one to speak, so just alphabetical order. You will get okay. to read Reverend Lucas's little acceptance speech, as she, as as they called it. <laughs> See, I did it again. As she, as they. Well, we did know Lucas as Leslie for you know two years, so it's it's a shift for us. We weren't introduced to Luke. Uh, Lucas says, Lucas, we have to, we have to shift. Okay, so I think I just read that would be uh, well, Charles. Charles, you reading? You want to read uh, 10 through 13 on the footnotes? <clears throat> okay. But this vision can be perceived only by the truly innocent because their hearts are pure. They defend true perception instead of defending themselves against it. Hmm. They're talking about me, the truly pure. <laughs> Matthew, blessed are the pure in heart, but they shall see God. Understanding the lesson of the atonement, they are without the will to attack, and therefore they see truly. This is what the Bible means when it says, and when he shall appear or be perceived, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 34, John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Of course, we interpret this as being without seeing the ever-present divine rather than seeing Jesus when he comes again. Sacrifice is a notion totally unknown to God. It arises solely from fear of the records. Hmm, records. 35, this means being afraid of the records of one's past thoughts and deeds. This is particularly unfortunate because frightened people are apt to be vicious. Good teachers never terrorize their students. <coughs> <coughs> to theorize is, to terrorize is to attack and this results in rejection of what the teacher offers. The result is learning failure. <laughs> Sacrificing others in any way is a clear-cut violation of God's own injunction that you should be merciful even as your Father in heaven is merciful. Number 36. Luke 6.36. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. It has been harder for many Christians to realize that this commandment or assignment also applies to themselves. In other words, though Christians generally, but by no means universally, recognize contradi the contradiction involved. What? What? It was echoing. It was echoing. Okay, hold on. Let me mute everybody else and see if, if just Charles speaks. 
Okay? Okay, let me try. We'll go. In other words, though Christians in general, but that means universally recognize the contradiction involved in victimizing others, they are less apt at ensuring their own inability to victimize themselves. Although this appears to be much more benign, a much more benign error from the viewpoint of society, it is nevertheless inherently dangerous because once a two-edged defense is used, its direction cannot be controlled. It is obvious that these individuals have not been able to transcend the misperception of the need for a sacrifice, or they could not possibly be willing to sacrifice themselves. Anyone who is unable to leave the requests of others unanswered has not entirely transcended egocentricity. I never gave of myself in this inappropriate way, nor would I ever encourage you to do so. 37. This originally referred to the American psychic Edgar Casey, who in the latter part of his life was deluged with requests from psychic read- for psychic readings, many for gravely ill children. In his response, he gave many times more readings than it was safe for his health, and as a result, died in a relatively young age, 67. See, cameo 15. The egocentricity involved in this is apparently that Casey was driven to sacrifice in order to make up for his own perceived lack of worth. Okay, thank you. Uh, Dusa Al... Yeah, you can hear me. Okay, Dusa Althea, you can finish up the chapter, or the section. I just lost it. Where is it? Okay, we just finished... Paragraph 13, and we just finished page 115. So you start on 116, and just read the next, uh, I guess it's four paragraphs that finish up the section. 116, you mean? Page 116. Oh, okay. I have been correctly referred to in the Bible as the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. 38. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which is taken, taketh away the sin, the sin of the world. Yet those who represent the Lamb as bloodstained and all too widespread conceptual error do not understand the meaning of the symbol. 39. There are three New Testament references that liken the blood of Christ to the... Sorry. Uh, wait, wait a minute. There are three New Testament references that liken the blood of Christ to the blood of a lamb. Peter and Revelation. But here is Peter, whatever the numbers. You know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your father, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the lamb, without blemish or spot. Isaiah, the wolf also... Oh, wait, that's 40. Sorry. I lost my place in this. 
I lost my place again. Okay. Okay, correctly understood, the symbol is a very simple parable or teaching device, which merely depicts my innocence. The lamb, the lion and the lamb lying down together refers to the fact that strength and innocence are not in conflict, but naturally live in peace. Isaiah 40, 40 Isaiah. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion, and the, the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. This passage, this passage about the wolf lying with the lamb and the calf lying with the lion has passed on to common usage as being about the lion lying with the lamb. Matthew, blessed are, oh, wait a minute, that's 41, sorry. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God in another way of saying the same thing. 41. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Only the innocent can see God. There has been some controversy in human terms as to whether seeing is an attribute of the eyes or an expression of the integrative powers of the brain, 42. In other words, is seeing a matter of merely perceiving sensor, sensory information or a matter of putting that information together? This is interpreting it. Jesus' answer is that it is the, the latter. Correctly understood, the issue revolves around the question of whether the body or the mind can see or understand. This is not really open to the question at all. The body is not capable of understanding. Only the mind knows anything. A pure mind knows the truth, and this is its strength. It cannot attack the body because it knows exactly what the body is. This is what a sound mind in a sound body really means. 45, 43, 43. A famous Latin quotation, men sana in corpus sano, from the Roman poet Juvenal, who framed it as one of the chief things to pray for in life, often used as a motto for the educational institutions. In the, course, in the course's interpretation, it means an innocent, harmless mind that neither attacks others nor attacks its own body with sickness. A sound mind is not for blood. It does not confuse destruction with innocence because it associates innocence with strength, not with weakness. Innocence is incapable of sacrificing anything because the innocent mind has everything and strives only to protect its wholeness. This is why it cannot project. It can only honor others because honor is the natural greeting of the truly loved to others who are like them. The lamb taketh away the sins of the world only in the sense that the state of innocence or grace is one in which the meaning of the atonement is perfectly apparent. The innocent of God is the true state of, of the mind of his son. 
in this state, your mind does see God. And because you see him as he is, you know that the atonement, not sacrifice, is the only appropriate, appropriate gift to your own altar. 44. This is a possible reference to Hosea 6.6. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offering. Where nothing except perfect truly belongs, the understanding of the, the innocent is truth. That is why their altars are truly radiant. 45. Uh, see the cameo, Edgar Casey. I can't hear you. Uh-oh. You muted? What? Okay, I'm not muted now. It takes me a moment to unmute people. Oh, okay. Okay, we're all unmuted now. All right. Okay, good. Let's talk about this. There was another reference to Christians. <laughs> I didn't realize there were so many. I was in 12. It has been hard for many Christians to realize that this commandment or assignment also applies to themselves. In other words, though Christians generally, but not universally, recognize the contradiction and it goes on. So, um, I mean, I think he's trying to correct a lot of the misperceptions that have uh, crept into not necessarily Christian religion, but it's the way they perceive the teaching and how it relates to themselves. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is Charles. I was looking at paragraph 11. <clears throat> Sacrifice is a notion totally unknown to God. It arises solely from fear of the records. This is particularly unfortunate because frightened people are apt to be vicious. Good teachers never terrorize their students. Um, this came home to me uh, because uh, last night I talked to my um, brother, who's who tomorrow morning is um, is be, going to have a heart surgery. Actually, it's a heart valve, mm -hmm. so it's a relatively easy thing in today's world uh, to do that. They replace the existing valve with some animal uh, valve, and. What's always so interesting in a discussion with him, as, as loving as it may sound, uh, in our family, no one ever, ever, ever told each other that, that we, we loved each other. Never. And so I wanted so badly to say to my brother before this, this operation that I loved him, and I couldn't bring myself to do it. And I felt so anxious as as because of that, uh, and it wasn't anything that he was doing; it was what I was doing to myself. And, and it's just really, I, it's it's a struggle I've had for years, and continue, unfortunately, to still have. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 so unfortunate what families can do to each other that we we pick up this message of so-called truth, whatever that is, and, and run with it 
throughout our entire lives and it affects us throughout our entire lives. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me to tell Pat I love her. We tell, well, I tell her that every single day, multiple times a day. Very easy. Uh, people uh, I, I know uh, at, at church and friends, I always tell them I love them. But to tell it to any member of my family just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. What well, what would that if you were to do that? What would it mean? I don't know. It's it, it, it's frightening to me. I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know if they would come back. And I guess my fear is, and, and it probably wouldn't happen. My fear is they would say, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> <laughs> you could say yes. I love well, you. Uh, yes. So. Uh, so so they might think you're crazy or they might think i think they come crazy anyway (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm the oddball uh, the odd sheep in the family that that's uh, quite certain so nothing lost there (laughs) (laughs) it's not as if i'll ever see them again because i probably never will see them again they live in texas uh even my niece that lives here in uh, the state of washington She's busy with uh, her family and her, her grandkids, and I I don't know that I'll ever see her again. It's always if I go if I go to their house, then I will see them. They they never come to my house, never. When is your brother going in? Uh, tomorrow. We're not sure when. Probably in the morning, I would imagine. So. Can you put? How about an email? <laughs> Uh, do you do you ever do a, a video thing like Skype or, or do you no. No. no you can always text him yeah my yeah, sister, my, my sister and I will sometimes do a what's it called? oh a FaceTime because she has an iPhone so we can <laughs> FaceTime but she's a little hesitant I mean she has to know so she can get her wig on put some makeup on <laughs> <laughs> she's just not willing to do it without <laughs> being prepared. It's always sweet, though, when I actually get to see her. When we talk on the phone a lot, do we say, yeah, we will occasionally. It's, it's usually, though, pretty, like, casual, like, love you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not mean. It doesn't have, it's not like, I love you, Sarah. It's not, you know, it's, it's a, but it's there. And uh, every once in a you know, if somebody's really going through something, we might say, I love you. Mm-hmm. you know? Uh, it isn't something we regularly say, but we have said it, you know. Well, one of these days, I hope to surprise myself in uh, saying it. Now, Pat does it. She's fine with doing it, and they don't respond, but uh, Pat will do it. Well, if it would make you feel better to send a text message, that... Well, that's, that's a good thought. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just send it off, and uh, you'd get it there before he goes in. And yep, I like is that. He, Thank is you. He older than you or younger? He's a year and a half, but he was born on a different planet from me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time I heard that one. My brother was born on a different. Planet. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Okay, anything else about what we just read? Oh, there was something. 
I gotta mark these things the next time. So that well, I you know I I um there's a line in eleven which I I know it's in all the other books, but I I'd forgotten it. It's just the last line. My uh yeah. God's own injunction that you should be merciful even as your father in heaven is merciful. Like I will frequently talk about that the Course says that our words should reflect mercy because God offers us only mercy. So I like the whole mercy thing, but I've forgotten about that it's also mentioned here that we should be merciful. And I use this a lot on that Facebook group, you know, asking people to be merciful in their discussions with one another. But I never, I never use this quotation because I don't, I don't remember it. I don't think about it. I use the other one, that our words should reflect mercy because God offers us only mercy. But this one would be a good one to alternate it with every once in a while. So they give me crap about it, but uh, it generally, I, I mean, I do think it helps in the long run. It's interesting here in the um, in that same part where it says sacrificing others. So up above, he talks about sacrifice arises solely from fear of the records, which would suggest in the context of the Casey example that he gave of himself because he was afraid that he would be judged as not having done enough or something like that. And so he gave more than he, than he should have. But also at the end of that paragraph where he says sacrificing others in any way. And I think that ties into frightened people are apt to be vicious. When you're vicious toward anyone else, you are sacrificing them. Yeah. You're, you're sacrificing them on some altar of, you know, ritual. I don't know. So. What about all this stuff about lambs and blood? <laughs> I, I think that you know. I mean, obviously, these are biblical references, and so we, we've you know we've heard them all our lives, so we have some idea of them. But you know, none of us were ever you know you know we've we've been sacrificing animals on marble slabs. You know, hasn't been common practice for centuries, maybe millennia. Um, <laughs> Two two things come to mind. One is is the um, uh, I'm reminded of so many of those um, Easter reenactments where they flog Jesus and they've got the you oh, know, yeah. themselves and all that. I mean, there's a lot of blood kind of involved in that. And so the Lamb of God, they show the Lamb of God is bloodstained. But also, you know, I mean, they stole the pagan. Uh, holidays and and symbolism and everything else and and didn't that involve sacrifice ritual sacrifice of animals yeah yeah so, I, I i would challenge stole <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit because a lot of that um where they assimilated uh other holidays there was practical reasons for that because uh and you know this is what i learned or read in that in the, those early centuries if the christians appeared different then they singled themselves out and they they could be persecuted so mm -hmm. it was important for them to blend 
So they had to have their own like reinterpretation of the pagan holidays uh, so that they could, you know, so if everybody else was celebrating the birth of Mithrius around December 25th, they needed something that they could celebrate around December 25th. And uh, so that, that's really how that, a lot of that really started was <clears throat> the priests or the, the leaders of the Christian faith would reinterpret and give the, their followers, the Christians, the early Christians, something to do on those days that would, so if they wouldn't, so that they, they could blend more. Well, I mean, that makes sense, but I mean, the, just the, the fact that ritual sacrifice was also a part of the, if you, if you wanted to reinterpret ritual sacrifice, you might reinterpret it as the lamb right. crucified, right. blood, you know, and it would all fit. But That's right. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's right. You know, I don't, I don't really know, I don't know if it is known, how animal sacrifice, I mean, that, that really goes, that goes way back. Right. Where that thinking came from, you know, what was, what was the logic in that at its inception? Why, why would we sacrifice, why would we, why would we butcher an animal? Well, it's um, definitely very primitive. They did that many, you know. Yeah, that goes way back. Well, they sacrificed people. They sacrificed kids. They they sacrificed. Yeah. Go back to the Mayans. Virgins. Virgins. I mean, I think it, but it was it was to curry the favor of the gods or the favor of the unknown. Right. I don't. I don't know why that would have first come up like that, though. It seems quite. Yeah, bad. it seems like you know that that's a real logical jump there. That's a, a little yeah. tough to make in the mind. Well, I, I think there are several different types of sacrifices, though. There was one sacrifice where you might sacrifice um, a lion or a leopard because you wanted to uh, obtain the powers of that animal, and by yeah. sacrificing, then you would do that. Sometimes you would sacrifice your enemies, but more the, the chieftains. So, again, you could take their power uh, onto you. As far as the lower animals, uh, I, I do agree. I think it was a form of appeasement. And if I'm scared to death of, <clears throat> of the, the thunder god kind of a thing, uh, maybe I'd better uh, make a sacrifice to the thunder god so it wouldn't... Uh, strike me with lightning or something wow. you know you know too it if if you think of the world as it is arising from the separation and that that arises from perception and judgment and the pointing the embodiment of the things you don't like in something else then i guess sacrifice is the same thing as war is the same thing as anything else where we take it out on, on something other than ourselves. You know, another a, th a thought that I just had was, you know, we really, it's it's difficult for us because we can't put ourselves in the consciousness of these these so-called primitive people. Let's say ancient people, because we just go to the grocery store and we buy meat. <laughs> you know, it's like to us meat. You know, I, I just go to Safeway. I just it's my meat, but meat was a big deal and. Um, you know, if, if the hunters went out and were able to get a deer or something and then they brought it back and, 
and the probably the killing of the deer and the butchering of the deer and the cutting up of the meat of the deer was probably a big village tribal thing. Mm -hmm. It was a big thing and it was it was celebratory and everybody uh, got to because everybody got to eat some meat and uh, you know so it was a big deal. So when you think about you know if you have some idea of the divinity, then you well you offer to the divinity the best thing that you have. Well, what's the best thing that you have? Well, these celebrations of when we suddenly have an animal to eat. And, oh, and you know, and part of the animal, you give, you, you sacrifice the best thing that you have. You right. give deity. The best that you the got. Best, the best part of the meat, the best, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's why you threw the virgin women into the volcanoes. <laughs> uh, anyway, you know, it, it's, um, you know, it's, it's funny because what, you know, years ago, like this is probably 25 years ago, I traveled with a, a lady friend I was uh, involved with at the time. Her name was um, Rita. And we went to this um, little village in, in, on, uh, that was very isolated in the coast of Mexico uh, called Yalapa. And um, there were no roads to Yalapa. You had to take a boat to Yalapa. And there was, you know, a lot of native people there, yada, yada. But anyway, they, they, they didn't have livestock there. I mean, they didn't, have, uh, they didn't have cows. They had chickens and pigs. But, they, but, but certain people from the village once a week would go take this big, long trek over the mountain to the neighboring village where there were actually cows. And then they would bring a cow back. And then they would kill and butcher the cow. I think it was twice a week, actually. And then all the native people would get around, you know, the people that actually lived there with a, with a bowl and wait to get their little portion of meat. And, uh, you know, we were told this, and as, as, as tourists, we weren't really tourists because we lived there a whole month, you could go and get, and get a little meat. That was the only way to get any meat, any, like, beef. And um, so there was twice that I did that in the week and a half that I was there. And once I got some beef, and the other time there were just too many uh, native, uh, actual residents in front of me in line, and they would only give meat to the non-residents if there was some left over. But I mean, I saw that whole thing. It happened at dawn, and it was there was this. It was still pretty ritualistic the way they did it. I mean, they didn't they didn't bring religious symbolism to it, but I could just the, the whole vibe of what was going on was a pretty ritualistic thing. And uh, so I, I could I have some sense of, you know, put it back a couple of millennia. <clears throat> it was a big deal. That was how you got a little bit of meat, and meat was a big deal. You might have wanted to offer that up to the gods. It was the best thing you had, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, maybe supermarkets aren't such a terrible thing after all. <laughs> <laughs> But it's still important for us, even in today's world, to uh, get together in groups and have what we call parties, which are celebrations, and we do it over food. I know. Yeah. We still do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, we, we don't really have enough time, you know, to read another section, so let's just keep chatting. Uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah. 
Anything else? Anything here? Um, what about being merciful? What does that mean for people? Okay, so we have not, and now I found another one, a reference, that we should be merciful. And we should be merciful to each other. I think it means you shouldn't be judging the other person. I mean, I think I've looked up, I've looked up the word mercy, and it means, um, I can remember this, extending a, a, a loving gesture to someone, even if they maybe don't deserve it in worldly terms, you know, you you express mercy, you, you, you give a loving blessing or a loving gift to one maybe that hasn't quite earned it in worldly terms. So so you're merciful to your brothers and sisters. In other words, they may have done stuff that you would feel is unloving or that you may, but you, you extend mercy to them. You don't, you don't judge them for it. Basically means being not judgmental. You, uh, you're still loving to them, even though they quote, maybe don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. I mean, those, those aren't real courses, but that, I think that's what the word generally means. Anybody got quick access to a dictionary? <laughs> no, but I don't think that's how, I don't, I think that he specifically admonishes us not to see the error and then forgive the error. We're supposed to not see the error. No, I right, right. So we don't see the error. So we're just loving because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. We don't see their error. So I mean, that, I, goes, that goes along with the idea. Mercy, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Uh, an event to be grateful for, especially because its occurrence prevents something pleasant, unpleasant, or provides relief from suffering. I guess the first one, though, um, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. I think that that were Jesus to read that, he would reinterpret it for us. (laughs) Well, I agree. I agree. So let's reinterpret, but it means to be loving and compassionate and forgiving towards someone who, in the appearance of things, might justify you not being that way. Where is the, where is mercy, merciful uh, mentioned in here? Do you Yeah, paragraph 11. Yeah, okay. At the end. Be merciful. Yeah, you should be merciful, even as your Father in Heaven is merciful. Uh, you know, I would, merciful, yeah. Even as your Father is merciful. I would interpret that as being merciful, being the same thing that they, in keeping with what he's asking us to do all along, with the atonement, with seeing everyone is unified, with not seeing error, with not seeing mistake um because i don't think he would say to us your father in heaven is merciful he sees all your errors and he forgives you anyway 
because the whole course says he doesn't even see them. I understand. So. <laughs> right. Let's just say he's he's so merciful he doesn't even see them. He doesn't even see yeah. them. Right? He doesn't even see them. He's, he's, just so, he's such a personification of the ideal of mercy. <clears throat> the errors aren't even there. They're not even there because they're not real. They're not real. Yeah. No, none of it's real. So. But that's how we should be treating one another. That is how. That is how. That is how, yeah. yeah that's how we should be treating And then because you see that, that sacrificing others is at the beginning of that sentence which would be if we see them in any other way we are sacrificing them mm. right and that's a violation of mercy yeah, no differently than you know the lamb on the altar i guess no differently than all those other sacrifices we've been talking about just all the blood-stained ones the blood yeah you know same thing yeah okay that's our time all right all right, great class, thanks. Yeah, let's do a little pr prayer. <clears throat> okay, uh, Holy Spirit, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity. Nice to see <clears throat> Reverend Charles's lovely wife, Reverend Pat. Hey. <laughs> uh, thank you for this class, this time, these readings, this discussion, these insights. Thank you, Robert Perry, too, for all the work you did and all the biblical references and all the research that really helps us flesh this out in a way that uh, we're just really blessed to partake in your years of research. So we're grateful to you. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. See you next week. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Have fun. <laughs>